Well, it's December the 1st, which means a couple things. Thanksgiving's behind us, and Christmas is fast approaching. For some of us, that feels like good news. For some of us, that may be causing a little bit of stress. I know it can be a mixed bag sometimes for us. Um, we can actually have a sense of dread sometimes approaching the holidays. We, we, we can anticipate the stress of obligations with family, expectations, and, and missed expectations. Um, trying to find the right gift. You want to find the right gift. You want to get the house ready if you're going to have company, or you might have to make arrangements to travel somewhere. If you're like me, you might have things at work that you've committed to for the year. Well, the year's almost over. So you got stuff going on at work. Um, all these things can bring worry and stress into our lives and, and steal our joy. But, but some of us have been waiting all year for this time. And that's, that's where we need to be. We've been, we've been anticipating this season. It's tradition. We have music that we love. We have the opportunity for family time, for food together, for gifts um, and it is good that we wait for this. It's good that we anticipate because it's worth waiting for. It's good. Good to remember that all the stress and the obligation, it only exists because we want to make the most of this time when we remember what we're celebrating and not lose out on the blessing. In this season, as uh, Tim and Amanda and, and their family read to us, the season of Advent means coming or it means arrival. And it implies something big. Right, so we don't we don't talk about the advent of a taxi or the advent of a bus. Right? Those things are small things. They do come and they do arrive, but there's those things we don't talk about an advent. But we might speak of the advent of the automobile changes history, how we how we get around. The advent of flight as a in airplanes changes changes how we can see the world. The advent of smartphones changes almost everything about our daily lives. So we have these big things that we talk about in Advent, things that come and things that change our lives. Well, nothing could be bigger and more life-changing than the Advent that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the promised Messiah of Israel, the one who was promised from the beginning, the one who would come to redeem that's, that is the Advent that we, t- that we talk of this morning. Um, I knew that Gala was going to do some decorating in here, but I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. When I walked in and saw the sign here, this sign with five words says so much. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that really is the theme of what we're talking about. Emmanuel, God with us is what that means. O come, O come expresses this, this yearning, this hope, this waiting for the promise. And so, I want to I look into some passages today. I want to look into it with the spirit of this phrase right here. O come, O come. I'm waiting and I'm, I'm wanting, I'm anticipating, and I'm longing for the promise to be fulfilled, the promise of God's Messiah. Let's pray, then we'll look in some, some Scripture. Father, we, we thank You. For all that you do for us, I thank you again, Father, for the beautiful weather that we have following the storms last night. Thank you for the dry parking lot outside that we can park in and, and have a, a safe and, a, and comfortable walk in. Father, you bless us in small ways and big, way, big ways, and you're faithful. 
And, and the biggest blessing of all, Father, is you sent, your, you sent Your Son, Jesus, to us. And when He came, He changed everything. Father, let us look back and let us look forward to that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, so I kind of picked two focal passages. They're, um, one of them is definitely mentioned in the, in the little Advent book. The other one I don't think is explicitly mentioned so much. But the first one is from Luke 2. I'm going to read these. This is about, and I'm going to just very selectively pick out these two verses or these two passages about Simeon and Anna, two people who were waiting, who were looking and hoping for, for the Messiah and waiting. And then I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 11 after that. Chapter 11 was written about 700 years before Simeon and Anna. So they'd had plenty of time to read up and study on it. And they, they knew then what these promises were. And you'll see uh, chapter 11 show up in the devotional guide, in the Advent guide. Um, hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verse 25. <clears throat> now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then was a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Let me pause for just a moment there. We have these two people. I want you to picture them in your mind. And they both have this spirit. Oh, come. Oh, come. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to the promise. And what is the promise? From chapter 11 of Isaiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the water covers the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> Excuse me. So, we have uh, this Hebrew word Messiah. We're looking at the promise of Messiah. Just like Advent means coming or arrival, Messiah literally means anointed or chosen. Um, many of us know that. Um, in the Greek, the, the word Christ is the same as Messiah. It's just a synonym, and it means anointed or chosen. So when we say Jesus Christ, it's not His last name, it's His title. 
He's the Messiah. That's what we're saying. We're saying that He is the fulfillment of the promised Messiah when we say Jesus Christ. Um, That He is the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the Son of God. Now, as Simeon and Anna waited with expectation, what were they waiting for? We're going to walk through chapter 11 as as a guide to what's the promise of the Messiah that they were looking for. And there's, there's five things, and uh, I'll, I'll make five points. That's going a little out there, I know, but they'll be shorter than usual. There's a promise of redemption, a promise of justice, a promise of peace, a promise of light, and a promise that these promises are for all people, not just Israel. Redemption, justice, peace, light, and for all people. Now, the promise of redemption... First off, the the Messiah, when He comes, is going to bring redemption. Isaiah 11 speaks of the stump of Jesse. You remember that King David was Jesse's son. God had promised David that his royal line would never end. But yet, from the perspective of Simeon and Anna, there was no descendant of David on the throne. In fact, they had gone into exile. The people of exile had gone, or the people of Israel had gone into exile and been defeated and overthrown. But then they had returned, and they had been conquered and overrun by Rome. And now Anna and Simeon lived in a Jerusalem that was under the authority of the Roman Empire, and secondarily under the authority of a cruel governor slash king, an Edomite named Herod. And, and the, Israel, the Israelites didn't think very highly of Edomites, so to be ruled by this guy was a, was a shame. Certainly not a descendant of David. Luke says that Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for redemption of the nation. He was waiting for a legitimate king of Israel to come and redeem Israel from subjugation. And he was looking to the promise from Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a root, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And then in verse 10, it follows up and says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So Simeon, even though he could see no king from David from where he sat, he did have the promise of the Messiah to come. And and that he knew that that Messiah would be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It would come out, and they would bring bring Israel out not only from the power of Rome, but then to be the focal point of all people of the world. So, So Simeon had this view. Right? He knew from, it, from Isaiah what to expect of this Messiah. Now, there's a bigger view too, that in the Garden of Eden, we know that when Satan, the serpent, led Adam and Eve to sin against God, God pronounced a curse on Adam and Eve and the serpent. He gave them all a curse. The curse included pain and childbirth for Eve and all women. The curse included adversity between man and nature so that before food came easy and free, Now everything was going to be hard work. That the earth itself would resist man's authority over it. That was the curse, part of the curse. And then, interestingly, in in uh, chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, God told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that is regarded as the first prophecy of this Messiah to come. The very first one, we're only in three chapters into the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3. And already God is promising, I'm going to take care of this. It's not over. Yes, there's a curse, but there's going to be one to come. 
the anointed one. So he's going to take on the serpent on our behalf. That's the promise. Israel's state of captivity to Rome was bad, yes. But far worse is all of mankind's slavery to sin. And this Messiah, this Redeemer, would come to free us all from the greater captivity. I want to ask you, are you looking for redemption? Do you feel like you need that? Do you feel bound or trapped, captive by circumstances? Maybe outside circumstances. Maybe by circumstances of your own choice. Choices that you've made. God promises redemption through His Messiah, Jesus. He's strong enough to break circumstances that are outside you, and He's strong enough to break circumstances from your own choices. He can redeem. Second, the Messiah comes with a promise of justice. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 3-5 through tells us that He will judge, He will rule, He will exercise authority. And what kind of ruler and judge will this Messiah be? Well, verse 3, starting at verse 3, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So that kind of explains to us the kind of knowledge he's going to bring. And then it says he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So this Messiah is going to be a ruler, but he's going to be all-knowing, and all powerful. Verse 4 tells us, with righteousness he shall judge, not by not by external things that he can see and hear, but with righteousness. He's going to completely understand every situation for judging because he is all knowing. And then it says he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is omnipotence. This is divine, right? This is the kind of Messiah he's going to be. His decisions will be just. And his actions will be with great power. Verse 4 tells us that when he strikes the earth and kills the wicked, you know, we know that only one person has this kind of power. There's only one who's all knowing and all powerful, able to judge and decide correctly in all cases, and then to execute his judgments by the power of his very word. When it says that he shall strike the earth and with the with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he kills the wicked. It's the power of his word. This is the power of God. His very words have power to create and destroy. He is sent by God, and he is God. That is this Messiah who's going to bring justice. Now, Simeon and Anna, they had seen injustice. If they had not experienced it directly from Rome then they had known of Roman cruelties. We have, through history, we know some of the cruel things that were done by the Romans, including killings. And, and I'm sure that Simeon and, Anna, Simeon and Anna had known people and seen these things happen if they, weren't directly, if they hadn't directly experienced these cruelties. They certainly would have known about the tax system, which we know was unjust, how Rome commissioned tax collectors and they robbed people. Um, and took more than they should. So the, Simeon and Anna were longing for justice for their nation because they saw that the powers that were in charge were not just. And I would ask you, are you looking for justice? Do you see injustice? Have you been wronged yourself? Are you just weary of the, of the injustice that you see in the world? God promises justice through His Messiah. A perfect justice of complete rightness 
and complete power. Third, this Messiah is going to promise, he's going to bring peace. And Isaiah paints a poetic picture of the peace that the Messiah will bring. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Just picture that in your mind. These animals that have no place being together in peace, and then a small child leading them. It says, The cow and the bear shall shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Does that just kind of make you cringe thinking about that? Thinking about a child with poisonous snakes or, or leading a lion? You see these videos on the internet of people at these little parks teasing bears and lions and things like that. It just makes you cringe because you know the potential. You know the violence that a lion can bring. And yet, Isaiah is painting a picture of perfect peace that, that a child can play with snakes, poisonous snakes, and it's not dangerous. How is such peace possible? When the Messiah brings redemption and justice, there's no longer cause for conflict. Remember that the result of sin is separation and conflict. The result of injustice is violence. But when Messiah comes with His perfect redemption, and when He rules with perfect justice, there's no cause for anything but peace. And this is the kind of perfect peace that comes when all those things that we're completely used to in our lives are gone. So think of someone that you have not had peace with. Think of the biggest conflict you can think of. And if you're living in this world, there is some conflict in your life. There must be. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah is going to bring peace even between leopards and goats, between little children and cobras. If He can do that, He can bring peace to your life, to your relationships. There's no reason to fear because of this perfect peace. There's no reason for fear. There's no reason for conflict. God can do it. In fact, He asks us that we believe and we trust Him. If we, if we come together and trust Him, He can heal conflict. He can make it go away. He can bring peace between you and anyone in your life. If we imagine a world of peace with everyone, that's the promise that Simeon and Anna were waiting for. That's the promise of Messiah. That's what they saw in Isaiah. That's what we see. They clung to it and we can cling to it too. Now, we see a promise of light. The idea that God or His Messiah bringing light, that idea of them bringing light, it's all through Scripture. Um, It's everywhere. And I don't want to talk too much about that. We're going to have a whole sermon about about Jesus being the light of the world. But but it is an important image, and it's promised uh, over and over and over again in Scripture. And here, light represents often truth or knowledge or wisdom, or righteousness. And this is always juxtaposed against the darkness of ignorance, deceit, or lies, foolishness, and evil. And in chapter 9 of Isaiah, which I didn't read to you before, but in chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. 
I think that was in our reading for, for the candle lighting this morning, that this idea that the Messiah is going to bring light, a great light over people that are living in darkness. Simeon and Anna were looking for this light. They saw and lived in the darkness of exile and defeat for Israel. They came to the temple day in and day out. If you picture, they're coming to this temple and they're faithfully coming to worship, to pray, and to wait for this Messiah. But what did they see? We know some of the things that they saw because when Jesus came, it's recorded. They saw hypocrisy as people in the temple took advantage of others to make money off of, off of the required rituals that were at the temple. We saw that the temple itself was sometimes being run for profit and power. And yet they came faithfully. We saw the nation was being exploited by the Romans. What else did they see? They longed for the light and truth. They longed for for worship without ulterior motives. Um, We know that the light of, of that true knowledge of God actually leads to true worship. That when, when the light of God's knowledge comes to us, all we can do is respond in worship. And Messiah will bring that light to. In verses 2 and 9, in, in chapter 11, he doesn't use the word light, but, li- but listen to what he does say. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then skipping down to verse 9, It says, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, completely permeating everything. This knowledge, this this understanding of the ways and the things of God. That That is the kind of light that Messiah will bring. And I'm asking you, are you looking for this light that Messiah brings? He brings truth. He brings wisdom and He brings understanding. And He will fill the entire world with the knowledge of God. The only thing the only thing that we can do in response to that will be to worship when we have that knowledge. Come to Him. Look for that light. Finally, we know that this promise of Messiah is a promise for all people. So many, so many places we see this promise made to Israel, and Israel was waiting for the promise, and Israel expected the promise for them. But they often, I think, overlooked how many times the promise was made to the Gentiles, to the others. And so Simeon, Simeon is waiting in the temple. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. But then when he saw the baby Jesus, in Luke 2, 29-32, he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So he knew, even Simeon knew, waiting in the temple in Jerusalem, that the Messiah that was to come was a promise to all peoples, not just Israel. It was for all the world. And that while God chose Israel as His people of promise, as the people through whom He would bring His Messiah, the blessing of Messiah would be for all the people. So let me ask, do you look to Messiah Jesus? To Jesus the Christ? Do you understand that He came for you? Not just some other people, for you? Do you think, maybe do you think that you're already good enough and you don't really need Him because you're pretty good? No, you're not. He came for you. Do you think that 
Possibly you're too bad to be redeemed. No, you're not, ba- you're not too bad to be redeemed. His power to redeem is greater than your power to sin. He came for everyone. Not just Simeon, not just Anna, not just Israel. He came for you. If I could get the musicians to come up, I just want to say a few words to conclude. Uh, in, in your Advent guide, you're going you're gonna to read one of the passages from, from Tim Keller. And he makes, he makes the point that when we needed redemption, we needed it from outside. It is not a redemption that we could generate within ourselves. We do not have the power to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and fix ourselves. We needed help from outside. And that is exactly what this is. When we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we are asking, O please, send the one that you've promised. He's the one from outside. He's the one we need. He's the one who can fix things and make things new. Please send Him. And as we enter this season, let's remember the promises of what He said He would come to do. He promised to bring redemption, justice, peace, light, and bring it for all people. He brought redemption on the cross when He died for us. He paid for your sin and for mine. He undid the curse and redeemed us. He brought justice and peace. God's justice was satisfied in Jesus when, when He died on the cross. It satisfied God's justice. And His punishment, Isaiah tells us, His punishment brought us peace with God. He brought knowledge of God because He is God. He promised to be with us and He sent His Spirit to live in us when we trust Him. This knowledge of truth brings light to our lives. He brings these promises to all people, not just Israel. And He wants to reconcile you to Him. Will you come? Will you believe His promise?